Grace, peace, and mercy be with you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When you were young, it was fun and sometimes an interesting experience to be invited over to your friend's house or even your friend's grandparents' house because you got to see how other people lived. They were experiences which taught you not everybody's house is like yours. Not everyone's family is just like yours. Not everyone thinks and acts the same way you and your family do. I had one such educational experience when I was 12 years old, and we just moved into a new neighborhood. It was a mobile home park, a big one, where half of it was designated for people 55 and over, and the other half was for families with children. So it wasn't uncommon to meet kids who had grandparents living there, too on their own side of the court. And one day, this boy I'd gotten to know says to me, hey, let's go over to my grandmother's house. You know, she lives right down the street here. She's always baking stuff. Maybe she'll have some cookies for us. I went along thinking, oh, this is going to be nice. A nice grandmother baking cookies in her quaint mobile home. We went up to the door and my Friend didn't even knock. We just went right in, and he announced himself, and this nice woman came up to us and greeted us, and she was very friendly and was glad to meet me and seemed genuinely happy that we had stopped in. And sure enough, there were cookies and milk. And as I'm eating my cookie, I'm looking around, and I'm noticing things don't quite look like a normal grandma house inside. There were shelves and tables stacked with books and papers up to the ceiling. There was a large desk with a typewriter on it and papers strewn everywhere. And I'm glancing at some of the covers of these books laying around and I I see one with Karl Marx on it, whom I really didn't know much about at the time, but, you know, I recognized the image. I had seen it before from somewhere. And there were crooked pictures hanging on the walls, old black and white portraits of of stodgy men from the early 1900s or something. It, It was just really odd. And I don't remember how the topic came up, but I think my friend noticed I was looking around and said something like, you know, oh yeah, my grandma likes to write about politics and stuff. You know, she's been writing all her life. She writes for newspapers and magazines. And... His grandma asked me, do you like to read? I said, uh, well, I, I mainly look at airplane books. Oh, she said. Well, I write about this and that, and she proceeded to tell me something about government and how we could live much better lives if we all worked hard and pulled together, and one day there's going to be a big change, and everyone's going to be equal. I mean, it was all over my head as a 12-year-old. My friend says, well, we got to go now. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm, thanks for the cookies and revolutionary politics. See you tomorrow, Grandma. I never went back to Grandma Lennon's house. I don't know whatever became of her. We only lived there a couple of years. But I learned then you just don't know what's under the surface with people. On the outside, a gentle, sweet cookie-baking grandmother. On the inside, 
a proletariat activist waiting for a revolution. Who would have guessed? It's like this all over life. And it's no different in the church either. That nice gentleman you've been worshiping with for years, all you know is his soft-spoken manner, kind smile, always ready to help and often does with various tasks in the mission. But one day you happen to mention something about the, the plight of immigrants seeking refuge in this country and the kind gentleman you've come to know and admire says we should just nuke them all in their homeland so they won't come over here anymore and be a burden to our system. And he's dead serious. Or the director of the church nursery who's been there 30 years, even watched your children and changed their dirty diapers so you and your spouse could attend church services without distraction. In some conversation with her, she proudly mentions she's been employed by Planned Parenthood as many years as she's been the director of the church nursery. Or how about the elder of the church who's been handing you the, the body and blood of Christ at the altar for years and you find out later he's also the grand high exalted poobah at the local lodge. Or the nice church basement lady serving refreshments who also happens to be a conspiracy theorist. You know, I could go on and on. Uh, you get the idea. And these are not examples at this congregation. <laughs> But I have heard them from colleagues. The point is, people aren't always what they seem on the surface, even in the church. And on a deeper level, sin causes even the faithful Christian to be attracted to other narratives besides the gospel. Or to look for signs that, you know, to look for signs other than what's already been given in Scripture. For instance, some people believe conspiracy theories because those narratives offer alternatives to things they find mundane, such as politics, religion, the environment, medicine, all sorts of things. The whole idea about Q, where the individual can be drawn into the drama and even participate in the action and expect results from it. I mean, from what I've been reading and hearing, these narratives are all about signs indicators that the conspiracy is real and can be verified. Oh, this just happened. See, it's a sign that what we've been told is true. This means there will be more signs to come and the ultimate truth will eventually be revealed and change will come from it. Jesus had to deal with this same kind of thing. People were asking him all the time about signs. When will the end come? Who are you? What miracle will you perform for us today? What sign will you give us? When will you restore the kingdom? Give us something. What kind of response can we learn from Jesus today's from Jesus today on the assault to our senses from all the confusing news and deception? Well, a good one, I think. A well-grounded one. Well, of course, it's good and well-grounded. It's from God, right? Jesus said to the original hearers when they asked him to show them some wonderful proof from heaven, he said, look, you guys can tell the weather's gonna be, what the weather's going to be like all the time by looking at the evening and the morning, but you can't figure out the signs of the times. 
The evil and unfaithful people of today demand proof. And the only proof you're going to get from God is the sign of Jonah. That's what he said. Now, (laughs) what does the sign of Jonah bring to your mind? So Jesus is saying here there's going to be some image of the in, image in the sky of a of a guy getting spit spit out of a whale. That's kind of what there where my brain wants to go. <laughs> What's the sign of Jonah? Well, think for a second. Jonah was inside the belly of the whale for how many days? 3 days, right? And he came out. Both Jonah and Jesus preached to Gentiles. They preached the repentance of sin. They preached to pagan peoples who had no knowledge or fear of God, the true God. So the sign of Jonah is none other than Jesus. In fact, Jonah is the only prophet Jesus directly compares himself to. Not even Moses gets that distinction. No, the sign of Jonah is Jesus' death and resurrection. This is the sign we are to look for. And there's a warning here too. Beware the yeast or the leavening of the Pharisees who were the guys that were asking Jesus for a sign in this instance from Matthew. Now, when you bake bread, the yeast or the leavening makes the bread rise. You know, it works slowly, right? And unnoticeably, unless you sit there and stare at it. But, you know, who does that, right? So it happens while you're not while you're not looking, while you're not aware. And you just put in a little bit in the dough, right? Jesus compares the teaching of the Pharisees to leavening or yeast in the dough. They put a little bit of their false teaching in the Word of God. It works slowly over time, unnoticed by the people. And when the bread rises, you get the whole tainted thing gets bigger and bigger. My friends, this, is, this happens today. To this day. There, there are no Pharisees anymore, but the leavening that is lies and deception is still put into the bread by those who would lead many astray from the truth for their own gain, their own entertainment, and ultimately to their own judgment. But you and I have the truth in the Word of God. Jesus says, Beware of the leavening of the Pharisees and others like them. Now, in some ways, we are like the Pharisees today. We can predict the weather better than they could with all the technology we have now. But we still can't interpret the signs of the times using our, our man-made tools, right? You know, political analysis, economic strategies, environmental science, not to mention... You know, theories and philosophies. You know, all the worldly sciences and philosophies brought to bear on the times won't correctly interpret them for us. It just ends up in a crazy mess and division. That's why we need the sign of Jonah. Jesus, he is the sign that this world will come to an end at his hand. Not because of World War III, or an alien invasion, or a doomsday virus. But at the time which he has appointed, and in a way which he said it will come, with fire. 
on that day, all things will be made new again. All the faithful, including you and me, will be resurrected and made new again for eternity. So don't look for indicators to verify the truth that's already been verified for you. For the past 2,000 years, wars and famine, disasters, toppled governments and lost civilizations have been the signs all along that the end is at hand. You know, our lives are just but a flash in, in history on this earth. But when we hold on dearly to the teachings of Christ, when we abide in His Word and promises, we know the truth more and more. The truth that Jesus died and rose again to save us. The love of God for you and all people is the only narrative that will bring life and salvation. There's no love in conspiracy theories. There's no love in any spin-off groups. There's no love in social constructs or philosophies such as Darwinism or Marxism. There's no love in those things. All you're going to find in these is cold, dark dead ends the love of God in Jesus Christ is what we strive to focus on and besides we have a helper the Holy Spirit to keep us on the path of life and love for God and each other Jesus and only Jesus saves with the power to raise the dead and bring you and me to be with him on the new earth forever and that's good news my friends I hope I live long enough to have grandchildren. And when they come over to my house, it ain't going to be for cookies and revolutionary politics. I'll give them cake and the promises of God. They'll see signs on my wall, a cross, the sign of Jesus, His death and resurrection, which gives life and sustains us in our faith and is the only sign to which we must point in our witness to all that God has done in the world for all people. Amen. May the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ.